0: Hi, this is Bill McKee, and I am here in a little bit of a different episode where I'm interviewing my lovely co-host, Kier, on the Like-Minded Investors Podcast. Um, So welcome, Kier, although I don't think you really need a formal welcome or anything as we've recorded, (laughs) what, five episodes now?
1: yeah well no yeah wait this will be the fifth I think
0: this will be the fifth I think
1: yeah so we're on a we're on a roll we're we're (laughs) we're getting to the you know first 10 I'm excited it's going it's going good
0: good um so I guess this will be kind of you know an episode all about you um so with without further ado why don't you just give us a little bit about yourself
1: Sure. So my name is Kier. I am a licensed real estate agent. My husband's a contractor. We own a remodeling business. Um, We have flipped, my husband and I have flipped two houses together. I've flipped five before that with my parents. So growing up, I, um, you know, real estate was just in the family. They did flips, they had rental properties. My dad actually owned his own title company. My mom is also a licensed agent. Um, so real estate has just always been in my life. So yeah, my husband and I have flipped two houses together now and we own four doors and we rent out, um, three garages, I think. Yeah. Three garages. So yeah, we're, uh, on our way to that dreamed about financial freedom.
0: That is incredible. So, um, obviously I know a little bit about you. Uh, we've known each other for a little bit now, but, um, for everybody at home, um, you had mentioned, you know, family history in, you know, the real estate space. Um, at what point did you know that this is kind of something that you wanted to do?
1: You know, I actually, I always knew, um, it just felt like something that I wanted to do. However, when I was, you know in high school, my parents actually, I, I told them that I didn't think I wanted to go to college because I just wanted to get right into real estate. They kind of, I don't want to use the term forced, but <laughs> very, very, uh, you know, forcefully <laughs> persuaded me to go to college, uh, which I'm grateful for now. I am definitely using some of what I learned in college and you know, the friends you make there is incredible. Um, so they actually kind of tried to dissuade me because they, um, I don't know, I guess they couldn't see how you can actually be a full-time, just real estate investor. Uh, even though their entire life was real (laughs) estate, I just, I don't know if they, for some reason, they didn't see that for me. So I kind of always knew. Um, so then I went to college, I went to Penn state university and I got a degree in business management. Like I said, now that, you know, we're managing businesses and remodeling projects and flips and rentals and stuff like that, I'm definitely using that. But uh, yeah, I guess after college, I got a corporate job as a property manager. Well, I started as a leasing agent, worked my way up to a property manager and just everything that I learned there about, about real estate, um, especially, you know, the rental market and, learned all about fair housing and stuff. I kind of was like, I can, I can do this. (laughs) Like I can go out and do this for myself someday. So I wound up quitting my corporate job when I basically was crying every single day on the way home because I just corporate was not for me. Um, So I quit that. And uh, at the, my husband now, he, like I said, he's a contractor and I was a real estate agent. So we were kind of like, let's take a stab at this flipping thing. And uh, I quit my corporate job and bought our first flip.
0: That is so incredible. It, I mean, it just it seems like every step kind of was leading you back to real estate. Even your corporate job as a property manager. I mean, not everybody right out of the college goes into a real estate related role. People go into banking or teaching or nursing. Or I mean, even with business management, they might go into supply chain or logistics or or something not real estate related. So it's really incredible. Now, when you were applying for jobs, when you were getting ready to graduate, were you only looking at real estate related or real estate adjacent jobs?
1: Absolutely. I actually graduated um, a semester early so that I could go and get my real estate license. So I basically spent like my last semester in college getting my real estate license and, um, you know. After my parents kind of persuaded me to go to college they also were the ones that pushed me to get a corporate job which again I'm grateful now because I learned a lot mm-hmm. uh, but I was kind of like if you're gonna force me to get a corporate job now I it's gonna be in real estate no matter what like I will not accept anything that's not gonna help me learn for what I want to do in the future
0: I, I love that that mindset that that determination that that grit I mean, listen to your parents you got a corporate job but you did it on your terms yeah exactly (laughs) and and also well I think one of the valuable things also is um you know taking advantage of being in that studious mind to get that real estate license did you find there to be any advantages like while you were in school kind of studying as well because I know now geez I don't even know if I would remember how to study it's been so long
1: (laughs) Right. I know. It was like, yeah, I actually thought about that. I was like, I, yeah. Doing it right after college, you remember how to go about studying. Now it's kind of like, I mean, especially with all the distractions, you know, in, I feel like in, you know, you're adult in college, but you don't really know what it's like to be an adult until (laughs) until you're out, like fully out. So it was kind of like, you know, I didn't have the distractions of, um, I guess adult, real adult life and, having true bills to pay every single month, mortgages, like, you know, those kind of adulting things.
0: (laughs) Yeah. When you're in college, you're kind of in this, uh, like bubble, I guess is the best word to call it. Not to use the term that has been thrown around the past year, but definitely a bubble.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then too, for me, I mean, I know there are some people out there that aren't lucky enough, but when you're in college too, you always, for me at least i always felt like i had my parents to go to go back to if things mm-hmm. <laughs> you know fell apart now you know being 33 it's kind of like i don't know um yeah my mom will always be there but it's like i don't that that's like a last resort <laughs> for me now in college it didn't seem like such a bad thing
0: i coming out of my parents house and now in in my live in i totally understand that feeling about they they're there love them but <laughs> little different
1: now. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> so fast forwarding into, I guess, that first flip. Um, how many years after the corporate job was that?
1: So I actually quit my corporate job in order to start flipping. Um, I thought, you know, I didn't discover bigger pockets or like any kind of online communities yet. It was literally just me and what I had learned from my parents. And then my now husband, um, you know, knew about the, um, remodeling aspect and all I knew was the stuff that you saw on HGTV and I thought right out of college or right out of, uh, you know, the corporate job, I was going to buy a flip and we were just going to become full-time flippers. It wasn't going to take any time. It would be, you know, bing, bang, boom. We were full-time flippers, but that is not what happened. Um, because I kind of, while doing that flip, I kind of, I discovered bigger pockets and, I love bigger pockets to death, but I got a little bit of analysis paralysis, a little bit of shiny object syndrome. Um, and we decided to go right into like with the, uh, let me back up for a second. So that original flip, we actually decided to rent it out for six months mm-hmm. um, before we sold it because We kind of put it on the market at the wrong time of the year. It was like right before winter. And I got nervous after only three weeks on the market that it wasn't going to sell. So I was like, let's rent it out for six months. And then also that would help, you know, we would hold it for a year. So we'd pay less in capital gains tax too. So that was in the back of my mind. So we rented it out for six months to a tenant. And that's when I got a taste for like that rental income. And I was like, Ooh, like this is, this is cool. And I think it was like a couple weeks after we closed on that flip, I found a single family house with an ADU, which it was a one bedroom, one bathroom apartment above the garage. And I just kind of, I don't know, in the back of my mind, I was like, this makes so much sense. And I just started figuring out about bigger pockets. And I was like, this makes so much sense um, to live in this um single family house and have this renter helping to pay for our eventual mortgage. So, I kind of I don't know. Now I kind of forget your original question, but <laughs>
0: <laughs> It's okay. I my question was just about the the flip and it sounds to me that you kind of converted it briefly into a rental which makes perfect sense given time of year and seasonality and all of that kind of fun stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah, cause who wants to hold a you know a vacant house over the winter and pay for especially an oil heat too? I mean, oh
0: gosh, yeah, n- <laughs> nobody wants to do that. Now, holding it or how did you go about finding a tenant for only six months? Um, and you know, I'm sure you had some nerves in terms of doing um, you know flip quality um, rehab versus rental um, rehab, and um, were there any Kind of nerves about renting it out. And, you know, when the six months was over, having to uh, repair anything major.
1: Yeah, actually. So I was like not afraid whatsoever about finding the tenant and screening them and everything because of that corporate job. The only thing is exactly what you're saying that I was afraid of is we had, you know, in the world of real estate, I feel like people do. Um, different levels of rehab depending on what their exit strategy is and since Mm -hmm. our exit strategy was a flip we put granite in there we you know touched probably every square inch of that house and so yeah putting a putting a renter in there for six months we were a little bit worried about the wear and tear on the property before before we were going to put it back up on the market um so when i was screening tenants figuring out their level of cleanliness was kind of, you know, if they mentioned anything about that, my heart was kind of like, okay, I'm, I'm, uh, it's a little bit of anxiety lifted off of me because they mentioned about how neat and clean they are. And I know people can lie, but like, I don't know, just from my experience in the corporate world, it seemed like when people mentioned that, that they were actually neat and clean, um, to some extent they usually were, because that is kind of a rarity for people to actually be neat and clean. <laughs>
0: So the, these tenants, they, um, they mentioned that specifically on their application.
1: Yep. They, uh, basically I, it was almost like they could tell what our fear was. Um, or even, I mean, I didn't even say anything, but they kind of just put that information out there. Like we realized this was, this is a flip and that you're going to be selling it in six months. Um, you know, we're going to take care of it and treat it like our own home and, um, you know make sure that we leave it basically in the same condition um that you rented it to us in and
0: and I'm I'm assuming it all worked out in the end they left it as close as possible to um you know what they you know were renting it for and yeah happy ending yeah. right
1: yeah and in regards to finding you know someone for only 6 months it was actually super easy there are a lot of people out there who are, I mean, now that's probably why, you know, Airbnbs and short-term rentals yeah. are, are taking off. I mean, th- this was what, 2016. So five years ago, um, I feel like back then the short-term stuff wasn't as popular, but I feel like there were still a ton of people out there who were looking for it. So it, we had a ton of applications for, uh, for months, a month and, you know, three and six month leases. Uh,
0: I, yeah, I mean. Airbnb didn't create the market, right? They just attacked the market, I guess right. you could say. Right. But that that's awesome. So if you're all right with it, I'd like to get into the numbers of the deals. So what did you purchase it for? What were the rehab costs? What was the mortgage versus what you rented it for, for those six months and all other expenses, of course. And then, you know, what did you ultimately sell it for?
1: Um, Okay. So
0: (laughs) if you can remember,
1: I, we bought it in cash technically because I knew for a long time that I wanted to flip houses. So I had been saving up for my corporate job for a while and it was only an $80,000 house. However, I did wind up taking out a pretty large cash advance on a credit card. Um, And at the time though, it was like an 18 month credit card. So even mm-hmm. with the tenant or even with renting it out, um, I was still within that time frame. Or I was just within that time frame, like <laughs> literally by days <laughs> to pay it off without having to pay interest. Um and then we also actually funded most of the renovation on credit cards as well. So I don't recommend that to people. It just like I was so desperate to get started in flipping because I had quit my corporate job <laughs> that I, you know, did that. So um they were all interest free credit cards so it was basically like cash and then you know mm-hmm. the rest in cash and um so we bought it for 80,000 we put 25,000 into it and we sold it for 159 and then okay. i we had to give a little bit of credit i don't remember the exact numbers it was somewhere between like 2 and 4,000 um, at the, you know, after they did their inspections, they asked for some money back. So we wound up netting a profit of like 37,000.
0: It's not bad for the first one at all.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I tell people we came in under budget, uh, but over, over time frame a little bit. Cause my husband and I, on that first one wound up doing everything ourselves, except for the plumbing and electric. Like we were even up on the roof <laughs> installing That's it. So
0: you installed the roof
1: yep yep that's where I think that was the first house my husband taught me how to how to roof and it's it's actually pretty simple to roof it's just a matter of being up that high which I don't know how I did that I got on a roof the other day um our roof actually to do a little bit of painting and I was like how did I used to do roofs with you like I don't I don't know
0: I can safely say that that is something that I will likely always higher out. Not that I have a fear of heights, but um it's not natural to be up that high. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, we but, we sub out all roofs now. Like even for a remodeling business, like that's another thing we're subbing out now. So
0: it makes total sense. But I commend you for 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 doing that. And for the first deal, you know, those are things that make the deal work for you. And if you're willing to do it or whatever it is, if it's roofing, plumbing, electric, whatever it is that you're willing to do and you have the skill set to do or the ability to learn it, do it by all means.
1: And you know, on top of that too, I, if you want to do those things, like I'm not saying you have to from the get-go. However, if you do have a desire to learn those things, uh, I think it's a, like now I know how a roof is supposed to be done and I can, you know, not an, I can't go and inspect roofs, but I can like sometimes look at a roof and be like, holy crap, that is not installed right. And, Mm -hmm. or, oh my gosh, that like such a good roof install. Like drip edge is perfect. But like, you know, I use all the terminology now and stuff. And it's like, I know I, I at least can sound educated in stuff when speaking Mm -hmm. to other contractors and roofers.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think that is the value of DIY is understanding, appreciating and gaining that knowledge um, for future deals.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then in the future, um, you can pick and choose what you want to work on. Like I will never Absolutely. do a roof again, but <laughs> I love installing flooring. So like, you know, i we, My husband and I almost installed all the flooring in an, in this house that we're, we're doing a live in burr on right now. And I do it all over again.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, throw some tunes on pod, a podcast, maybe, maybe yeah. this podcast yep. and do what you like. <laughs> Shameless plug. <laughs> I love it. So that was the first deal. Then obviously you didn't just say, wow, I made 30 something thousand odd dollars. I'm, you know what? I'm good. That's a lot of money. I'm just gonna, you know, keep doing my thing. You, you, you kept going forward. You kept pushing. Um, how did you find the second deal?
1: So the second deal was, oh, we should maybe, oh. Do we even have enough time to get into all this i don't know uh <laughs> that first deal we found at auction we bought at an online auction it was Hubzoo.com. the second deal i bought from hudhomestore.com so i am a big fan of online auctions and now in-person auctions which maybe we can get into later yeah um but yeah so the the second property was like i kind of jumped ahead earlier it was a single family with a one bedroom one bath bathroom apartment above the garage And I found it on hudhomestore.com.
0: And that was when you had the epiphany that that you could live there, reduce your mortgage, rent it out, um, and start getting, I I guess not because the first deal you did kind of rent, but really start getting into like formal long-term buy and hold rental.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And if I could have kept that first, now that I look back on it, there definitely was a way to have kept that first flip as a rental full-time, like- forever Mm -hmm. I to this day still wish that I had that first rental and if I had the knowledge that I have now that would have been like that would have been my first rental (laughs) for sure so yeah
0: so the second one you lived in the main main part of the house right yeah and did that house need work as well
1: yeah so um hud home store is for foreclosures that are um, they're foreclosed. They're like, uh, what is it called? Government backed loans that are foreclosed on. Mm -hmm. So, uh, it was a foreclosure property and it definitely needed a ton of work. We were lucky enough that we were living with family at the time that we wound up renovating the apartment first and, you know, still living with, with, with family. And Mm -hmm. then when we rented that out, my, you know what, before I, fin- before I go on, let me bring up my notes because I, I get this wrong sometimes on, cause we, re- we refinanced this house three times. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, okay. We'll, so. we'll
0: get into that too.
1: <laughs> All right. So here are my notes. Um, so yeah, we bought the property for cash and we fixed it up with savings and credit cards both the house and, um, and the apartment. And once we got the apartment rented out, we got a $100,000 HELOC on it and paid ourselves back for all of those renovations. And then we actually added a, um, a second bathroom and a full bedroom upstairs by bumping out a dormer in the attic. And then we got a $195,000 HELOC um, on the house, which kind of made me nervous back then because it was a variable rate, but I kind of had a few plans for it. So what we wound up doing was we paid ourselves back for that second round of renovations. And then we also were able to purchase a duplex in cash with the HELOC on that, that, I guess I call it the burr hack because I feel like we kind of used the burr strategy and the house hacking strategy on it. And then, uh, when the market appreciated a little bit, we actually refinanced the whole HELOC that we had into a thirty-year fixed-rate mortgage. That just like made my heart a little bit happier and like my anxiety about like I I, I don't know what what I would describe my risk tolerance as. Like short term, I can be more risk um, averse, <laughs> but like long term, I like to know like I have thirty years now to pay this off. So. Yeah. So yeah, so we refinanced into a fixed rate mortgage, and we paid off like that. We paid off 175 thousand, and then we also wound up getting another 40 thousand dollar HELOC. Which uh, that 40 thousand dollar HELOC, we wound up using as a down payment on the current live and bur that we're doing. So basically, from that first bur hack that we did, like we were able to acquire two more properties from the equity that we had created created in that first deal.
0: Plus, second deal i guess plus you were able to live there
1: yes for free
0: for free plus all the tax tax advantages that come with it you were able to get all of your money back twice on it get two more properties i mean that's just
1: yeah and uh Wow, infinite roi, which is the dream <laughs> infinite return on our investment. um yeah, and the other thing I was just telling this to somebody the other day that I was real like the whole reason that I love using your primary residence as a way to keep going or get started in real estate is when you do go to refinance or get a mortgage, you can take advantage of owner like owner occupied mortgages are just more. You know, the, the interest rates are lower, the LTV that you can get, loan to value ratio is higher. Someone just told me the other day they got a ninety percent loan to value refinance. Ours was only 80%. So I'm like, man, I should have shopped around a little <laughs> bit more. Uh but again, I always say my heart happy, but it made my heart happy to have twenty percent equity in that in that property and just like leave it there. So
0: Yeah, you did what made sense and what made you comfortable. I think yeah. that's very important for everybody to know risk. Everyone's personal risk tolerance is different.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Now I want to circle back to, I think it was the second HELOC that was very hard to follow.
1: I know. I'm so <laughs> sorry. I'm so bad at describing how we did that <laughs> because I confuse no, myself when I talk about it. it
0: it's okay because it, I think it's important for everybody to understand you can do so much with one property. Um, But the one thing that you did mention, and I was wondering if you could go into a little more detail for people, is that your second HELOC was a variable rate. Do you mind describing what a variable rate is and why you were willing to go with it and I guess what the pros and cons of it are?
1: Okay, so um, a variable rate means that the rate can change. So, I was okay. Like I said, you know, short term, I, you know, I don't know exactly how to say it, but so the HELOC that we had locked in, they actually, with the variable rate, they actually locked in the first year at like a super low interest rate to Mm -hmm. entice me to go after it, you know? And then after that, they can raise the rates to whatever the market rate is. Plus I believe mine was a maximum of like no, I wish I had it in front of me, but I think it was like prime plus 1.5 or something, or maybe even two. So that means, you know, if the back then I think interest rates were around like 4%. So um, my interest rate could have gone up after that first year. It, I I had locked it in at 2.5% for the first year, which was great back then. I know that's almost normal now, or, <laughs> you know, what interest yep. rates are at now, but it was locked in at 2.5% for that first year. And then after that first year, if interest rates were at 4%, they could have raised it all the way up to 5.5 to
0: 6%. Wow.
1: So yeah, pros and cons. I mean, your interest rate can be lower it can be higher it's just you know it 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 can change so i mean yeah i guess i'm not the best at describing
0: (laughs) no but it's okay i think it's incredible because i think you used it perfectly in the sense that you got the low interest rate for that four year and you know had all the advantages of that with cash flow living there all that fun stuff and then when you were ready to to refinance you didn't have to pay that ugly large rate that just in twenty twenty one seems like a fake number. <laughs>
1: I know, right?
0: <laughs> so I, I think there I think it's important for people to understand that that there are ways to get maybe lower rates and, and maybe that is a way to use it in, in flips, uh, beyond the hard money and everything, is to maybe go after variable, knowing that, you know, hopefully in a year you're you're out.
1: Very true. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So fast forwarding into the other two deals that you were able to acquire from that deal. The first you said was a duplex and you were able to buy it all in cash, correct?
1: Correct. Yep. Yep.
0: And that was just a duplex that you straight rented out both units.
1: So that was actually interesting. It was uh, a duplex that we inherited, two tenants. One of them is or, yeah, is still on Section 8, which I actually love Section 8. <laughs> you don't have to I I just love the fact that you don't have to worry about, you know, getting your money every month cuz most of it comes from the government. So it is actually a burr and we are still working on it even though we bought it 2 years ago, but because it was tenant occupied, the tenants are great. Um, Yeah, they're way below market value, but we're we're, we're cash flowing pretty good on it. So we're kind of like very, very, very slowly renovating the outside of the building, kind of just waiting for one of the units to turn over so we can get in there. And in all honesty, if we were to renovate that building and the units to, to, you know, the standards that they, they should be, um, we could probably get about $600 more per unit. Wow. So, yeah. That's how below market value they are.
0: <laughs> now I, I don't own rentals. I don't know how section eight works. I know a little bit about it, I guess. Is there any way for you to go to the government and be like, Hey, this is market rent now. I know that the government subsidizes uh, what the tenant can't afford. Um, Is there a way to kind of help yourself and and help the tenant there?
1: Yeah. So um, the government actually has a website, I believe it's huduser.gov. And you can go to fair market rents and you can click on your city, or your state and then your city and then your zip code. And they actually tell you how much they're going to pay you. Um, you know, if you have a one bedroom, a two bedroom, three bedroom, it just lists out and it's by bedroom too. The bathrooms don't matter. Square foot footage doesn't matter. So they will actually tell you how much they're going to pay you for your unit. Um, what I actually wound up doing was when we first um, purchased the property, I went to that website and realized that we were very much under market value even as to what even as to what they were saying that we should get so i kind of fought it a little bit and right off the bat without even having that put into our calculations we got a 100 extra dollars per month and it was because they the other landlord had owned it for so long that they didn't increase him every single month as much as they should be and he never even looked into it or asked for a raise Um, a raise, I don't know if that's the right term, (laughs) an increase. Um, So when I did that, you know, we got $100 right off the bat. And I actually just looked a couple weeks ago, and I could probably do that again, because um, rents have gone up even in just the past two years for that area.
0: Yeah, I mean, we've seen nationwide rents go to, you know, record levels, house sales go to, you know, all time highs, inventory issues, all that kind of fun stuff. Um, I was just curious because in supply and demand, not to, you know, you want to be able to not discriminate against section eight or anything like that. But if you can get 600 more dollars, you know, that's not fair to the section eight person, but at the same time, that's not fair to you either.
1: Right. Um, The other thing though, too, is the property definitely isn't in, the absolute best condition you know that's also fair uh to definitely fight for it but yeah once once it's there you know and also you can you know they get a voucher so i could charge 1600 and if their voucher is only for say 1200 or something if it's possible for them to come up with that additional 400 dollars a month they could still live there so um you know it's it's all about how much their voucher is for, how much the government's willing to pay, how much they can afford. There's just It's like kind of like a balancing act.
0: Definitely, definitely. But um, sounds like a really good deal. Sounds like once you rehab it and, and eventually turn it over, it's just going to be even better.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And then the second deal you bought for, or – the, yeah, the second deal you bought from your second property is this one, right?
1: Yes, the one I'm living in right now. Yep.
0: Which if you haven't been following along on Instagram, you should follow Kier because it's awesome and there's a lot of good little tidbits. And you can see her do flooring and other things. <laughs>
1: yeah, there you go. Yeah, so it's a it's a live-in burr. Um, we're going to, uh, again, not the actual typical burr, so what we did was instead of buy, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat, we bought it, we renovated it a little bit. And then just to the standards to where we could move in, we literally still have a make it makeshift kitchen and like bathrooms are <laughs> hideous. <laughs> yeah. You, you know what I'm talking about, Bill, with your, <laughs> with your live and flip right now. And uh, so then we renovated a little bit, we moved in. And now we've been here for six months and um, we're just slowly doing all the renovations in our quote unquote spare time. And we literally, I can hear right now, I don't know, I hope you guys can't hear it, but my husband is finishing vacuuming the basement cause it is literally almost done. We just have a couple like final touches to do. I'm so excited because I think we're gonna move on to the kitchen next. And I am so tired of <laughs> cooking and living in a makeshift kitchen. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that has uh definitely been the hardest part of the live and flip. It's not not the labor, not the work, not not balancing the W two and the rehab and learning things and you know, fumbling my way through things. It's it's the kitchen.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if you like to cook. It's difficult.
0: Yeah. So uh not real estate related, but what have you been doing in related to having a makeshift kitchen? Any good recipes or anybody for the people out there looking to get started and do the crazy rehabs and house. I'm definitely not asking for myself.
1: <laughs> Honestly, I hate it so much that we have been doing a lot of takeout and, you know, yep. um, burritos and, <laughs> you know, uh, my favorite is cauliflower pizza from Costco. I have talked Ooh. about this with a couple people on Instagram. So it feels like if you guys like that. It is, or if you like, you know, I think you might like that. Cauliflower crust pizza from Costco is delicious. So it's kind of a lot of not the best for you food. Um, yeah. But it's, it's, you know, sometimes what you got to do.
0: And also you're, you're kind of moving your body, exercising your muscles in ways that maybe you wouldn't be if you weren't rehabbing. So not to condone unhealthy eating or anything, but the calories get burned at a faster pace than they would just not doing work after work
1: right well we'll go with that
0: (laughs) that's my excuse at least i i I don't i don't know if it's true or not but uh yeah please excuse the kitchen to my i guess left right my right cameras left yeah i think (laughs) anyway i guess circling back to to this property um You found this one at auction correct as well, which I sense a theme and we'll we'll get there, I promise.
1: Yes, this was a live auction. So it was literally a, um, it was a local company and the auction was on the front lawn of the house. And it was my first time bidding at a live auction. And when I tell you my legs were shaking when I was bidding in front of all these people, Uh, It it was, it was so nerve wracking, but it was a lot of fun. So, I mean, we can get into all of that, but there are definitely like differences between the online auctions that we've bought and then the, you know, in-person auctions. So might be best to kind of separate them, but just on a side note too, we did buy a, um, a flip in between all of this madness with uh, private money from, you know, we worked with an investor And we bought that property from an online auction as well, which is exome.com. So, so far we've bought hubzoo.com, hudhomestore.com, exome.com. I've bid on properties on auction.com and shoot. Now I don't remember the last one, but there was one more, but I get asked that all the time. So I thought I would just list out the places that we've bought from already.
0: Yeah. And to our editor, he will likely try to put, them in the show notes as well. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so we, we can totally separate, separate out online from, from in person. I'm, I'm sure there's differences. Um, do you kind of want to start off by maybe describing the major differences between the two?
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, with online auctions, it, you can't always see the inside of the property. So far, every single live auction that I that we have been a part of, or we've looked at, or I've scoped out, you, there has been at least a couple open houses where you could go and see the property in person. The online auctions, all the ones we have bought, we have been able to see the insides, but that's because whenever I look for online auctions, we aren't comfortable buying sight unseen yet. I hope to get there one day. My parents used to buy sight unseen. We're not ready for that yet. So whenever I search for properties on online, I always most of the websites allow you to filter by interior access available or vacant or you know cross off occupied or something like that. So that's one of the major differences um, with you know the online auctions too. If you do want to see the inside, you do need to have uh, a realtor that signs up with the website, gets the code for you, tours you through the property, because it's almost like a, a regular listing. And with the online auction or with the in-person auctions, you don't need a realtor whatsoever. They really handle everything for you. And you just go to the open house. And if you want to bid on it, you go and bid on it. So it's kind of, you know, you you don't have to use a realtor with the online ones, but like it makes it a lot easier too because then the paperwork is everything's done online with the online mm-hmm. auctions, and there's nobody there to kind of hold your hand through the process like they do with the in person auctions.
0: So, being a licensed real estate agent, I imagine that you handle that yourself, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, that's a, a huge reason why I love having my license is being able to, you know, get into all those properties without having to bother another agent
0: that's yeah that makes perfect sense is one of the major advantages outside of some of the many more potentially obvious ones yeah uh, for an investor
1: yeah exactly
0: um do you want to drop where you're licensed at for people or no?
1: Yeah. So yeah, if anybody, I love helping, you know, new investors get started in real estate. So if anybody's local to Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, I do Berks County, Bucks County, Montgomery County. So if anyone wants help in that area, let me know, um, especially with the online properties, cause I am very well-versed in them. <laughs> so I guess uh, two other differences, I guess between the online auctions and the in-person auctions uh with it, with your financing most of the online auctions don't allow for financing although you can you know every single auction is different and you do have to look and see if it says financing available or cash only or whatever and you only have online you only have like 21 days to close so with, so it's, it's very, it's very hard to, and I'm sure it would be very hard to get tra- at least traditional financing within 21 days. If you have a mm-hmm. private money lender or a hard money lender, I'm sure you can make it happen with the in-person auctions. The shortest time period I've seen to close has been 45 days and the longest so far has been 90 days. So it is way more, you know, you have so much more time to get a traditional mortgage or a conventional mortgage or whatever with the in-person auctions, which is actually, we wound up getting a conventional mortgage with this live and burr that we're, that we're in, even though we bought it at auction.
0: Yeah, so for anyone who doesn't know, conventional usually takes what, like 30 to 40 days, 30 mm. to 45, something like that.
1: Yep.
0: Now for this one with the conventional, did you go and put the full 20 down or did you put take advantage of that being your primary and put less down?
1: Yeah, so we took advantage of it being our primary we wound up only putting 5% down and funny enough we actually had to put now i don't remember if it was 10 or 15%. Let's go with 15%. We had to put 15% down the day that we won the auction. So at closing, we actually wound up getting $11,000 back because we wound up only going with a 5% down mortgage even though we had 15 like we had already put 15% down. <laughs>
0: that has to be one of the coolest closings ever that you bought a house and ended up getting. I mean, I know you put the cash out, obviously, but you got cash back at closing as a buyer.
1: Yeah, and I immediately put that towards the, the HELOC that we had borrowed the the down money on. So it was kind of like, then we were also saving a little bit of, of money and interest too afterwards on that HELOC.
0: That's so smart. I lo- I love that so much. Now... Jumping a little bit and taking kind of a little little bit of a shift here, um, you had mentioned earlier that your husband's a contractor, you're an agent. There's obviously some amazing synergies there. You guys have done flips, you guys have rehabbed. You're obviously handy yourself. You like doing flooring. You've gotten on roofs. Um, you know, how would you, I guess, describe for people out there kind of the dynamic of your guys' relationship, both as investors? Personal dynamic, how do you guys make it work? Being business partners with your real life partner, you know, all those kind of classic questions.
1: Um, I actually really love it. We work best like when we're working on a flip or our own properties, when we're, you know, working together is when we're getting along the best and you know, everything just the synergy, yeah, is there. Um, it's <laughs> it's definitely the most difficult part is the fact that you almost never have to turn it off. We can turn it off, but it's like, you know, we're around each other all the time. So it could be, you know, some mornings when we wake up, it's like 6 a.m. and we look at each other and we we're still laying in bed and the day has barely started and we're already talking about what has to happen that day, who we need to call, you know. So it's kind of like it's it's definitely one of the difficulties is shutting it off and, and being able to separate kind of having fun and talking business, but I wouldn't have it any other way. I actually, I I really love working alongside my husband and we are trying to both go more full-time into the real estate investing. Like, yeah, I'm a Mm -hmm. real estate agent. And um, I, like I said, I love working with new real estate investors but I really, we really, one of our goals is for him to do a little bit less client remodel work and get more involved in our own projects and hopefully get a, a more flips here in the coming months um, so that we can, you know, raise the capital, capital to purchase some more rental properties.
0: That makes total sense. I mean, being full time in it. And not having that time over there getting sucked away.
1: Right. Right.
0: So I know in episode one we kind of asked a similar question, you and I and, and Lauren and Kyle had provided. Um, what I think is is I'm gonna I'm gonna say it. I'm gonna say revolutionary in terms of mindset. Uh, when it comes to like a relationship dynamic with the dash line agreement. Do you agree with it? Have you tried implementing it? Were you already kind of doing something similar before they had even mentioned it? Or is that something that you, you've tried? You love it? Or every relationship's different and that doesn't work for you?
1: Yeah, so um, yeah, Lauren and Kyle mentioned about, you know, staying in your lane and and, you know, you do what you do best. I do what I do best. And while I had never really thought about it before, we definitely stay in our own lane and actually Lauren and Kyle were the opposite of us. They kind of overlapped it to each other's lanes. Um, my husband and I sometimes are a little bit too far apart from each other and we're, you know, he might be going the other direction sometimes. <laughs> so, uh, we just, you know, it's always, it's a little bit of an, always a work in progress. And I think finally within the past couple months, sitting down and actually writing specific, like we have written down our goals before but we never mm-hmm. made a huge effort to review them and you know stick with them and do the things that we actually need to do on a consistent daily weekly monthly basis to get to our goals so sitting down and finally getting on the same page of exactly what our goals are for the next year and then about where we want to be in the next five years and then wouldn't this be great what if we're here in this in this place in 10 years so we're definitely both going the same direction again and you know we do stay in our lanes and now though I feel like we're kind of at the point where we're kind of like teaching each other each other's responsibilities Mm -hmm. a little bit like he had never done deal analysis before and the other day we sat down and I taught him how to figure out rents of properties because we're starting to research new areas. And I'm like, I can't do all of this myself, research all of these new areas that we want to, you know, explore. So you're going to learn. And I mean, I guess I've always kind of crossed over into him teaching me how to do the remodeling Mm -hmm. aspect, but I learned something new from him all the time as in regards to remodeling mm-hmm. and rehabbing so that was a very long answer to your question but no it,
0: it's okay it actually brought up a couple questions i think so yeah. um in terms of deal analysis how do you calculate your deals what do you what do you look for in a deal how do you how do you run those numbers
1: so um when i am looking for a rental property we we have been so spoiled. We make over $400 per door on the four doors that we have. So, I, and that's like pure cash flow and that accounts for management and vacancy and everything. And we manage ourselves. So, it's actually more. <laughs> so, wow. I, we are so spoiled. So, however, I think that was kind of a detriment. To us, because whenever I would analyze a deal, I'm like, oh, it only makes $250. So there's <laughs> definitely been deals that we passed up on. So now, now we're analyzing deals to the point where the cash flow, you know, after all those expenses are accounted for, like minimum $150 per door for multifamily mm-hmm. and 200 a door. Well, I guess it'd be one door for single family. So... I'm kind of focused right now on cash flow. I also used to be a little bit more focused on our cash on cash return. I I was like I want cash flow to be what I just said and I want my cash on cash return to be 10 mm-hmm. to 15%. Well, right now I'm being a little bit flexible <laughs> with that especially with the market. So yeah. right now cash flow is is the most important to me.
0: Yeah, I mean I feel like there's forever the debate cash on cash return appreciation play cash flow i mean you have all these different terms um kind of battling in your head for for what's best you know cash flow being how much you know money you get a month appreciation being how much property's worth when it's all said and done and cash on cash being what's the rate or percent that i'm getting on my cash invested um why do you feel that cash flow right now is is important, I guess, out of the big three?
1: Um yeah, honestly, because I felt like I kind of had to pick one or the other <laughs> <laughs> in this market, just analyzing things over the past year. I'm just like nothing mm-hmm. is is completely fitting our criteria, and I know i I, I don't want to tell people out there to change your criteria, but this market is just so hot for for us right mm-hmm. now, and um, cash flow is important because we really are trying to build capital in order to buy more rental properties. So, as much yeah. cash flow as I can get to, you know, build up that those reserves is you know what I want to do right now. So, I mean, that could change in six months or a year. I'm, I'm telling you, <laughs> they yeah. you, you can. You, that's what I love about real estate, though. You can pivot all the time.
0: Uh, I think in my episode I said real estate can be forgiving if you allow it to be, yeah. And I I don't think those words are more true. Yeah. Um, I think what I'm hearing, and by the way, I agree about cash flow, especially right now in the market. Um, and I think what I hear you're saying is instead of waiting for the home run, you know, hit a couple singles while the market's hot, keep it moving, and eventually that home run, you know, will come. You're not going to be in a home run slump forever, right? You know. You, you will smack it 500 feet, you know, into the upper deck.
1: Yeah, exactly. I love baseball analogies.
0: (laughs) They work in everything. (laughs) So fitting. (laughs) They really are. Um, So um, kind of, again, switching gears. I mean, you had mentioned mindset. A little bit when when speaking about kind of the relationship dynamic and speaking about deals, I, I've, I think I've heard it come up a couple times. Um, I know that mindset is impor- important to you. How do you, I guess, keep in the mindset of investor? How do you how do you shift your mindset when you need to? You know, are there any kind of best practices in terms of you know altering your mindset?
1: Honestly. Okay. So I did a time study with Steve Rosenberg and it almost changed my life because I had this mindset that I didn't have enough time to do like all of the things that I wanted to do. And when I did this time study, I was blown away by how much time I was spending actually Watching Netflix or scrolling on social media, which I really thought I didn't do a lot of, but when I did it, I think I did that time study for nine weeks and every single day I would text him my time study and what I could do better every day. And if I didn't send it to him, he was, he was going to drop me or yell at me or something. So I never not, never didn't send it. But so just realizing where my time was going shifted that part of my mindset. And once I figured out where my time was going, I was able to spend it better. So I incorporated, I, I, um, I started a morning routine and part of that morning routine was self-development in some kind of way. At one point I was I had I, my morning routine wound up one time, I think it was like two and a half hours long and <laughs> I had to scale back from then. But at at, at at its peak, I was you know reading for 20 minutes every day. I was journaling for 10 minutes. I was doing at least 10 minutes of meditation. I was doing 30 minutes of some kind of exercise. And I think that that kind of um, just in and of itself helps mm-hmm. your mindset. And especially if the personal development is real estate related. Like if you're listening to a real estate podcast or a real estate book, I think that it just keeps you in the mindset of investor and it's just always in your mind, especially if you start the day off that way. So yeah, mindset is, is huge. It's, it's, it's really like a game changer once you figure out how to change your mindset.
0: I agree wholeheartedly before I was in this flip where I'm kind of fully, I guess, immersed in it. Um, you could, I could tell when I had gone a few days without listening to a podcast or reading a book or 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 speaking with you or or somebody else in the community or going to a meetup. I I could tell, like in my own like self, that I w- I felt unaccomplished or I was kind of not moving anywhere. So, um, I can kind of get you know how that morning routine kind of almost grounds you in a way.
1: Yeah, yeah. And then, I mean, if you watch my stories on Instagram, I talk about my mindset coach all the time. Her name's Karelle. She is absolutely amazing. Um, I We can put her in the show notes because I'm sure, I don't know if she's taking on clients, but if she is, she is absolutely incredible. I talk to her every single week and it's, even on the days where I'm like, gosh, what are we going to talk about today? She brings out something in me that just like fires me up for the week and- um, just, just, I don't know. Sometimes I say to myself, like I've had, I've had a, a couple of real estate mentors and coaches before I got her as a mindset coach. And I almost wish I had gotten a mindset coach before I did like the real estate stuff, because I think almost sometimes the mindset piece needs to come first.
0: Mm-hmm. I agree with that. I, th- I think you have to be mentally ready to be an entrepreneur, to be uh, in real estate. Um, I truly believe anybody can do this. I, you know, there is nothing. I will keep saying this. There's nothing special about me. I'm sure a lot of people feel that way. Nothing special about
1: me. Nothing at (laughs)
0: all. That being said, like you got to have a little grit. You got to have a little spark. Um, You got to be willing to do things people aren't. Um, And I agree with you. I think mindset, you know, before you even start being an entrepreneur, you got to have the mindset that you're going to be successful.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And getting out of your comfort zone. Like that is yeah. the biggest thing that I think you just need to try new things and do the things that make you uncomfortable. And that's where you grow 100%. I,
0: yeah. And it doesn't even have to be real estate or entrepreneurial minded. Just whatever is uncomfortable for you, if it's going into a different social setting or or you know, I mean, I'm, I'm single and I live by myself in a four bedroom house. It's lonely. I'm here doing a rehab and, you know, sometimes you need to get out going and eating by yourself. It's, it's not something that's sad, but like, it is a little uncomfortable. It's, it's out of your comfort zone. It's not as social as maybe other people might want to, you know, going to brunch is like this big social thing where you get mimosas and all that stuff. No, just go to like, I'm in Jersey, go to a diner by yourself, sit at the bar. Talk to the the waitress, get a nice waffle, bacon, whatever.
1: I know you see me (laughs) laughing right now, and it is because I won't, I will not name names, but I do have a friend who legitimately cries when she sees an elderly person eating by themselves.
0: <laughs> that, that's totally different because th- there there might be an unfortunate reason, you know, why they are. Yes. I'm talking about yes. people who have the ability and who have people in their life and, and a spouse or, or whatever, just get out, get yeah. out of your comfort zone. If it isn't eating alone, that's, that's okay. But for me, that was personally something that took me a little bit of time to To get used to, but it is something that I I enjoy the quiet of just eating out and hearing everybody else talk and smile. I actually,
1: yeah, I I totally agree with that. I've done that a couple times and thoroughly enjoyed it, but definitely was uncomfortable the first few times to go out and (laughs) do that. But
0: or or go to a movie by yourself. Yeah, you're in a you're in the dark. Who cares? (laughs) There you go. No one's gonna know. Yeah um (laughs) anyways we digress a little bit (laughs) just a little uh speaking of entrepreneurial mindset real estate specifically flipping and rentals is not the only entrepreneurial venture that you have started you started a little community called like-minded investors and we are the co-hosts of a podcast for that (laughs) 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 i gotta ask how did it start
1: so it started when I bought the intention journal from Bigger Pockets, and with that journal was supposed to come a mastermind group. I was assigned to a mastermind group that did not pan out within the first couple of weeks. I had I, I, like it just wasn't. Nobody was participating, and I was very upset because that was half the reason I bought the intention journal. So I decided to just ask on Instagram if anybody wanted to meet up. Um, once a month, once a week, once every other week, whatever, and kind of just, you know, I was trying to start my own mastermind, even though I had no idea what even went into a mastermind whatsoever. So um, yeah, so I started meeting with a group of like four or five people once a week, or no, it was once a month. And it kind of, we were just like getting so much value out of it that we just slowly started opening it up to more people. And now it's just turned into this um, I don't know, it, there's a monthly meetup that we do once a, a month where we have guest speakers and they just give so much value to everybody, you know, who comes and you can ask questions and it's, you know, just gain specific knowledge from people who are doing the things that we all want to be doing. <laughs> and then we also have an Instagram community where you know, we all just get to know each other and answer fun questions. And it's where you can find out, you know, new episodes of the podcast or things we're promoting or are proud of. Like um, Bonnie, we promoted, you know, her free yep. workshops that she had because she's just incredible. And she was on episode number four. If yep. you want to go back and listen to that. And then there's also a Slack channel where we all um you know there's i don't know if everyone's familiar with slack but it's kind of just another like area to chat but it's a little bit more private than chatting through instagram where everybody can see every single comment so and then we also have a facebook group however i will admit i am not that active on facebook so i don't manage that very well but um that is a, another thing that might be you know coming in the future and then obviously we have this podcast
0: yeah, I mean, I might be a little biased here, but I mean, what you've been able to do to, to first grow the community, second, think about like how to reach out to the community, keep everybody um, involved, engaged, all that kind of stuff. It just, it blows my mind, I guess, really. Um, you know, the podcast, the Slack channel, the Instagram, you know, the monthly meetup, the website. Um, you didn't even talk about some of the, the free goodies that are on the website,
1: Oh yeah, pe- and then people
0: have, I guess, donated. Is that the right word? Contributed,
1: contributed, donated. Yeah, same thing, I guess. Um, yeah, we've had some amazing people donate slash contribute um, things to the to the website. Like I have my private money lender presentation on there that I used that secured me a private money lender. And there's time trackers on there, net worth calculator from actually Mindy Templeton. I think what she was episode number two.
0: Episode two. Yeah.
1: She, she contributed a a net worth tracker. So there's just a lot of cool things on there. If you want to check that out, it's like-minded like-minded investors.co.
0: We'll link it in the show notes as well. Um, There's going to be a lot of links in the show notes, (laughs) (laughs) but that's great. I mean, that means that, you know, there's a lot of important stuff that that we're talking about here. Um, Yeah. So I guess my question is for you, I guess it's kind of a question for both of us in a way um you know where do you see like minded investor going from here in the next year two years five years
1: you know that is another thing that pivots and changes from time to time uh however i always see there being some kind of event in the future where we can all you know i know bigger pockets has has bpcon and you know mm-hmm. all that stuff but i don't know maybe in the future is it kind of like there are like-minded investors, local meetups that everybody hosts. I don't know. That sounds like a cool thing. Um, is it, you know, are we going to have YouTube channels where people contribute their you or yeah, we already have a YouTube channel, but where people, you know, contribute YouTube mm-hmm. videos to it. Like that'd be cool. Um, do we have one big blog that people contribute to and we can all learn from each other? Um, you know, I'm not hundred percent sure. All I do know is that it would be really cool to unite everybody in person at some point with some kind of cool, event, um, that is definitely, you know, on the radar for the next couple of years. And in the meantime, just growing the community and getting better and not better, sorry, that is not the right word, getting more and more guests, um, on the podcast and, you know, just growing all of that.
0: Yeah. I, I think I agree with all of it. I would love personally to meet everybody that I haven't met yet. I mean, I think I've been lucky enough to meet a couple of our guests, just being local to them. Um, but there's so many others that are not from the local area that I'm in that I'm just such a big fan of and being able to pick their brains or shake hands or, or, or grab a drink or, or food with them or whatever just would be so awesome. I mean, I feel like a fanboy over some people and other people's, you know, just have Relationships with on Instagram, it would be awesome.
1: Yeah, especially with COVID and everything,
0: and being stuck in the house or stuck in, you know, trying to limit travel and all that stuff. It'd be good to kind of be out there again.
1: Yeah, you know, COVID. Um, I don't, you know, don't want to say anything (laughs) about COVID being a good thing, but it definitely, you know, when everything went virtual, it kind of just propelled. The community a little bit mm-hmm. forward and kind of just like united us all a little bit more i think so um, that was one i guess good thing that came out of out of covid is that we kind of all found each other i mean i don't think you and i would have found each other because you and i met at a <laughs> at a meetup that's usually in person but they were hosting it virtually and that's the only reason i showed up was because it was virtual so that's yeah. how you and i met <laughs> I-,
0: I was gonna say i think like once COVID hit, everything went virtual and people were looking for that Connection. networking, connectivity, yeah, whatever you want to call it, um, that just wasn't there in person anymore. And yeah, we, we met at a virtual one. They typically host in person. Um, I guess the rest is history, right? Do you want to get into kind of how we kind of started, how, how we decided to be co-hosts or...
1: I think, I feel like you begged me for months (laughs) and I just kept saying, I do not have the time. I do not. And then I feel like I finally gave in and (laughs) no, that sounds
0: about right. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Um, but yeah, no, I honestly, I think you kind of, I had always wanted to do a podcast always, always, always. And from the second the meetup started to grow, I knew I was like, man, if I could like interview these guests and have like a podcast, of these people that are the guests on the Like-Minded Investors meetup, that would be so cool. I just never um, took the time to figure out how to do it. I feel like that's kind of where you came in. Like I had the dream Mm -hmm. of doing it and then you come in with like your your confluence and your lists and your wiki stuff and I, you know, (laughs) all of the tracking of everything. And that's kind of like what I needed to push me to actually do it because, you know, I had you to almost answer to and be like, we need to get this, this, and this done.
0: Yeah, I think I think we came into each other's lives at the perfect time. Um even if it wasn't like like we're not doing what we initially talked about doing, like at all.
1: Nope.
0: But nope. And I mean we had done some work after we decided not to do whatever we had initially talked about. We we did a little project together. Um,
1: Which is still coming if everyone's wondering what it is. Um,
0: it, it's coming, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: it is. It's uh, basically going to be a little mini course on how to determine ARV. So that is that is definitely in the works. And if you've been following me on Instagram, um, I've definitely talked about it in the past. I just think it's, it's on the list, guys. It's We have <laughs> so much is on the list.
0: Yeah, so... From my perspective, I was looking to help people and add value in exchange for kind of having like a mentorship, a friendship, a relationship, whatever you want to call it. Um, cause I believe in, you know, adding value and, and it'll, and pay it forward and it, you know, it'll come back tenfold. Um, so I had reached out to Kier after the meetup and asked if I could help her in any way. She seemed like she needed some help with some stuff. Um, yeah we we built we built that course did some things and I kept begging her every week when we would talk about a podcast and when can we do it and um uh, just kept telling her how easy it was going to be to start it up um I think I kind of under un, probably oversold how easy it was going to be yes. a little <laughs> bit <laughs> but um
1: it's worth it though. It is, it is, I, I love talking to the guests and I really do love the value that people are, are getting out of this. And, um, yeah, I mean, already the reviews online are amazing and the DMS that we're getting, I just, mm-hmm. I I'm blown away. People are, are really loving this. I And I hope they continue to.
0: Yeah, me, me too. <laughs> um, I got a couple of really nice DMS from my solo episode. Um, so I hope you get some as well.
1: Oh, me too. Let's hope so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm sure you will. This has been awesome. Thanks. Uh, yeah. Far. Thanks
1: for interviewing me, Bill.
0: Of course. It's weird to not have a co-host. I feel like I dominated the questions, but I didn't dominate against anybody.
1: <laughs> you just dominated in general. Just
0: in general. Yeah. But I mean, you dominated as a guest.
1: Oh, thanks.
0: So, um, with that, um, do you want to drop your Instagram or, or where people can find you?
1: Sure. So you guys can connect directly with me at realestate.kear on Instagram. We again are at like-minded investors on Instagram as well. Um, and I actually do have a blog which I finally just posted a, I think it was on August 19th. I'm not, I don't know when this episode's going to come out, but on August 19th, I think I posted my first post in month or might have even been a year and it's actually all about the numbers for which which actually kind of is fitting since we didn't even get into that into the second flip that we did so if you want to hear or read more about that um you can go to my blog which is thestonehead.com and that is the long story where that name came from but the bottom line is it was a nickname that my dad gave me when I was a kid (laughs) because I was clumsy 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 so yeah so All of those you can find me at. We'll put those in the show notes. And yeah, I guess that's pretty much it.
0: All right. Well, thank you, Kier, for giving me the opportunity to interview you. And I hope everybody um, enjoyed getting to know you a little bit more. Thanks, Bill. All right. Take care.
1: You too.